Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. By the sales IQ Are you ready? Let's get to it. We all know how important relationships are. Building, nurturing, and sustaining strong relationships are critical, both personally and professionally. From a professional perspective, your network is gold. It is one of the greatest and most valuable assets, but it takes effort, it takes time, and it takes energy. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Thor Ernstson, the CEO and founder at Strata, shares his perspective on the importance of your network and how you can unlock and leverage the full potential. So excited to be here today with Thor Ernstson. Is it Ernstson? Am I saying that right? Yes, Perfect. It's literally yeah. my dad's name is Ernst. So I'm Ernst, <laughs> Ernst son. That's right. The CEO and founder at Strata. For those of you who may not be familiar with Strata, Strata is for people who know that their network is their most valuable asset and who want to build stronger professional relationships and realize the full potential of their network. So welcome, Thor, and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Love it. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit maybe about your background and your career journey prior to Strata. I mean, you have just an incredible background. You know, you have a graduate degree in computer science. I saw that you have an MBA. You've also been in so many different roles, you know, as a developer, an engineer, you were a CTO, a founder, right? Among tons of other roles. So in addition to Strata, I saw that you're actually also currently a founder at Feedback Loop. So I have no idea how you get all of this done, but can you maybe share more about your background, you know, your career journey prior to Strata? Yeah, happy to. And you just reminded me I need to update LinkedIn. Uh, (laughs) I was sold Feedback Loop a few weeks ago. Oh, congratulations. Should put that on there. But anyway, so uh, (laughs) my career is really around solving the same kind of problem over and over and over in different domains and different areas. And that problem is how do you leverage a massive amount of information into really simple actions, recommendations, or you know, things that someone can do. So today with Strata, that means analyzing all the data we can get our hands on from your communication, from your email, from your calendar, from your network, from all the stuff that sort of defines who we are in relation to other people, and then drive that into dead simple send this email to Rosalind, thanking her for the podcast last week and offer XYZ. Mm -hmm. And it'll pre-draft the email with that context. And then it'll also give me a trigger to say, oh, and by the way, thank the person that introduced you to. 
and just continue that conversation. And then think of it as like deploying these algorithmic playbooks to do that. Previously, exact same thing for product managers that are trying to validate the, an idea. And that idea could be something as high level as what type of podcast are people interested in and something as tactical as what's the best onboarding experience for my product. And that's what feedback loop is. <clears throat> and now, now owned by Disco. And, and there you have kind of unlimited options. You have all this data and all these hypotheses. How do you distill that into like, what's the thing I should do right now? Before that was a healthcare company called Rally Health. Exact same thing. You have all your clinical data, self-reported data and observed data. What are the highest impact, highest value actions right now that you're likely to take? Not just like, oh, go lose 40 pounds, but rather simple things like take the stairs and, and a lot of like behavioral economic stuff that we see today everywhere. Like it's in, I mean, mental health is a huge thing and just taking the first step towards engaging in some way. It's a lot of investment in that physical health, obviously as well. And just engaging with healthcare in general is, is really cumbersome. So it's a long winded way of saying I've been doing the same thing for a long time, but it, it <laughs> you know, takes the shape of different companies and different sort of different domains. Got it. Got it. I love that. So, you know, when we talk about on the show, I talk to a lot of founders, right? Now, oftentimes when they do start a company, it sort of stems from that personal, you know, either pers personal or maybe a professional experience, right? Or a challenge or some kind of problem that they're trying to solve. When you decided to build Strata, was there an aha moment or maybe a specific problem that you faced that sort of led you to this idea? For sure. I mean, it was <clears throat> just like a, I guess a frustration more than anything else that I worked with all these amazing people over the last 20 years and I'm in touch with almost none of them. Mm. And it just, you know, it was like, it felt like such a shortcoming on my side because all it took is just sending an email. And mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times like I'll reach out to somebody <clears throat> thinking that we talked recently and then realizing it's been five or six years or even more. And I've just totally fallen out of, out of touch with them. And it's not because it was deliberate. On either side, it's just because it was never the highest priority that day. Mm -hmm. So the same metaphor you can look at in, in investment and, and other areas that like small actions have a creative value that over time becomes very significant. So managing and staying on top of your professional relationships is something that I learned isn't just my problem, but virtually every executive that I talk to said the same thing, which is that their network is their most valuable asset and they mm -hmm. put so much effort into trying to stay on top of it and yet they feel like they're dropping the ball. Got it, got it, yeah. So, I mean, we all know, you know, how important those relationships are, right? Both professionally and personally. And those relationships, you know, especially your network from a professional perspective, as you said, is, you know, one of your greatest and most valuable assets. So maybe we could, can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, how do you view this? And, you know, what would you say maybe to someone who hasn't really come to understand, you know, the value and power of their network? Yeah. So virtually no sort of later stage career person needs to like, needs the explanation. They all get it because they, mm -hmm. they live it. But a lot of times I get people that are either changing careers or or even new, you know, fresh out of college or grad school. And they might say like, well, I don't know anybody. So I don't really, I don't really know who to reach out to or what, what value could I possibly have for X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. and, and the answer is usually pretty surprising. So 
if you reach out to somebody that you meet at a conference, let's say, and that's one of the core use cases that that's just so insane to me and all of us really, that you put all the time and effort and investment into going to a conference, traveling to a conference, you walk out with a stack of business cards <laughs> and don't bother following up ever. Mm-hmm. And all of us do this. We're all guilty of it. So we, we, we do the hard work, but not the actual thing that converts into you know, something of value. So just showing up and just doing what you say you're going to do is is enough to stand out in most cases. So even junior people, are, they think that they don't have anything to offer to the CEO of whatever. You know, we might be surprised. And the one thing you know is that if you don't try, you're not going to actually get it at all. But if you put yourself out there and you you know, follow up, reach out, stay in touch. There's the possibility of something opening up. And, and again, if you don't do it, you know that it's not going to. So that's really the sort of the best advice for somebody that needs to hear it. But one Mm -hmm. of the things that we learned pretty early on is if we have to explain why it's important, then it's probably not the right person to use our software. Yeah. Yeah. So you either get it, and you need the tool or you don't get it and you need some other things first. You need to, to learn a few things first. Yeah. Yeah. I, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I think when I think about, you know, being on the revenue side, you know, in business, especially in sales, sales roles, you know, we know relationships are gold, right? Who you know, who you trust, who you respect, right? These are incredibly valuable when it comes to determining, you know, who you decide to partner with, right? And who you who you will do business with. When when you think about, you know, leveraging these relationships, what are some of the things that you see, you know, go to market teams, you know, really doing right with this? And what are you seeing maybe they do wrong? Yeah, so I'd say the best ones are ones that look at the individual on the other side as opposed to, you know, an entry in a spreadsheet or in a CRM. Mm-hmm. So if I reach out to a prospect and I treat them like a prospect and throw them on a mailing list and into some drip marketing flow, you know, that's a fast way to lose the relationship, right? You you undermine trust and all these other things because you've now sort of dehumanized the person. You you've made them a, a you know a number versus actually caring about them as a person and you know knowing things about them, for example. But then also <clears throat> being personal in your outreach and your one-on-one outreach, where it doesn't take a whole lot. It could literally be the difference of mostly templated email versus like two extra words at the end of it. It doesn't matter what it is. Something that just shows that you know them and who they are and what they care about. And that's probably the biggest like single point of, of leverage is like understanding them as a person and showing that you do. Obviously you can take that much, much, much further. In revenue teams, by that I mean sales, customer success, marketing, and, and all the other various players. You know, really, if you're selling B2B, you're not selling to a company, you're selling to an individual at that company. And right. using tools to manage a relationship with that individual is fine, but don't lose sight of the fact that they are a person. And one of the other things that I've personally seen work over and over and over is, is kind of following that person across their career, across different companies they may go to. Mm-hmm. Like, and in some cases, even facilitating it, helping them find their next job. Mm-hmm. So they might work with you because they know you're plugged into a community of people that are like them. And therefore, they're going to bring your solution on so that you can help them in some other way outside the scope of, 
of that. So lots of ways that goes, but that's probably the, the most important. I could yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I think it's super helpful. So let's talk about Strata a bit more, right? Because it helps not just from a sales perspective, but, you know, other areas, right, where your network is really powerful. You know, you talked about, you know, sort of helping find that next opportunity. So, you know, finding top talent, right? Acquiring yeah. investors, right? Building just peer-to-peer relationships. That, there's so many aspects where your network is really powerful and valuable. So can you talk maybe more about what you're building and how you're approaching this opportunity to really leverage somebody's network to drive better outcomes, you know, whether those are outcomes from a personal or a professional perspective? Yeah, sure. So most of what we do is on the person on the professional side, almost all of it. But again, going back to treating people like individuals, there the lines do blur mm-hmm. a lot of times you are working with your friends. One of the best lines I heard from was one of our investors, it was that <clears throat> his goal is to build friendships with transactional benefits. Oh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you're, you're working with people that you like and that you want to continue being around, but then every now and then there might be, you know, there might be a transaction of some sort down the road, but not necessarily. So the use cases are, I mean, sure it's sales, but it's it's really in the relationship building side. So it's not transactional sales. If you're dialing for dollar, I'm sure there's better better tools for you. But if you need to you know, really get to know somebody and build a relationship over a period of years before something happens, then, then it's a perfect tool. And there's lots of industries where that's the case. But then if you're a founder or senior executive or a number of other jobs, you kind of have to do that always. You're always mm-hmm. raising your next round. You're always making your next e-hire. You're always working on strategic business development deals or partnership deals or, or something like that in the background. So that's really where the tool shines is when you have a series of related tasks of different where you have to sort of keep the ball rolling or keep a relationship warm. People that go to a lot of conferences is, is also another kind of core use case because you have to stay in touch with people that you meet there. You have to follow up with them afterwards. You should also reach out to other people that might be in the same city at the same time. And then, of course, also just sort of generally staying on top of and outside of the events, in between them. And it's really hard to do. And a CRM doesn't quite get you where, where you need to because there's too much data entry. Uh, it doesn't quite map to your organic communication patterns and sending templated emails that are fed to you from marketing, again, it's not, people generally don't appreciate that. Yep, I love that. You know, as I think about the revenue engine in this podcast, I'm always hoping others will be able to really learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right? And power the revenue engine. So maybe from your perspective, you know, what are the top couple of things, you know, top two or three things that you think CEOs should really be thinking about today that will have the biggest impact on revenue growth? It's a pretty broad question. So I'd say it depends a lot on, on there. <clears throat> the VC is called go to market motions. Now they've, they're moving on to other things with product-led growth. But mm-hmm. if you're looking at revenue from a sales-driven organization, which like most of the most of the people here are, for me personally, it's all around incentives and alignment. So if mm-hmm. a salesperson and a sales manager and the marketing team and the customer success team is properly incentivized, and I don't just mean with dollars and commissions, not all just coin-operated, right. but really like, 
creating a, a structure in an organization that has a virtuous loop so that the better job the salesperson does, the easier the handoff to customer success. The better job the customer success team does, the easier handoff to maybe account management, maybe back to sales, wherever, where, however that relationship is managed. And really understanding how to align all the incentives there because so many times the sales team is incentivized literally by dollars to close a deal, any deal right now, by the end of the month, no matter what. And then it's on somebody else to keep the customer happy. Mm -hmm. So you create this tension that really isn't needed. And the way around it is really putting the customer in the center of it. It's like your timelines and your deadlines are not really the customer's problem. So if the customer is engaged and involved in helping you get a deal done in time, great, fantastic. But really, it's like it needs to be about the customer in some way. How is they, how are they in the center of all the decisions that the, your organization is making? And that is a thread that I've seen fall apart very quickly once you get one level into the organization. So ideally, you tie that all the way back to engineering, that an engineer knows how their product is going to be used. They're working on a feature that's going to drive revenue, but it's going to drive I guess, success for each one of those stakeholders internally, as well as most critically, the customer externally. Yeah, you are speaking my language <laughs> from a RevOps perspective, you know, talking about the handoffs, the alignment, right? Mm -hmm. And putting the customer really in the center of everything that you do. It's interesting because people always ask me things like, oh, what's the perfect, you know, tech stack or what's the perfect, you know, this and that. But, you know, similar to kind of what you were saying about it's a very broad question that I asked you because it really depends. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's always tying back to your customer, right? When you think about the even the technology. It's like, how do you want to engage with your customer, with your prospect and with your customer and where, how do they want to be met? Right. And where do you want to meet them? And what's that interaction look like? And just kind of tying back to that is amazing. So mm -hmm. I totally agree. What if there was like that, like one piece of advice that you would give maybe to another CEO or founder? Mm -hmm. You know, what is that sort of one thing that maybe makes all the difference when you're starting your own business? Or maybe it's something that, you know, you wish you could go back and do differently. Yeah. So one piece of advice I would give is to really adopt a learning or experimentation mindset. Mm -hmm. Really think of everything about the business in terms of hypotheses. Because I advise and mentor and help out hundreds of founders over the years. And vast majority of the conversations are the founders making some claim and me asking some version of what makes you believe that. Mm -hmm. And then that conversation leads down a rabbit hole that almost always ends in, well, try it out, find out. What experiment could you run to see if that is actually true or not? Because if it's not true, the entire business falls apart. If mm -hmm. it is true, and great, then you iterate and you move on to the next assumption. And uh, what ends up happening is even if it is true, you learn something. And if it's not true, you learn something really valuable. And that <laughs> same thing is true for go-to-market motions. I mean, for, for enterprise software, for example, like what would it take for somebody at Citibank or Pfizer or whatever company to buy your software? Because if you're a founder and you're telling me that, it's the best thing since sliced bread and it's amazing and it's going to make all these people's lives easier and blah, 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 blah. And I just ask, you know, a simple question, like what would it take for them to buy it? 
where's the budget going to come from? Like things like that, that are just dead simple. Mm-hmm. And then what you realize is, okay, well, it turns out they don't have anybody trained in using that kind of software. So really it's a multi-million dollar, you know, organizational transformation effort that this would be a part of. And that means that nothing's going to happen until McKinsey's done. And then by the way, you're selling to Accenture or Cognizant or whoever, because the end customer is not even going to be using it themselves. So there's all these things you learn in the process. So like putting yourself out there, I'd say, you know, engaging customers way before the product is ready, mm-hmm. just to understand their problems and really focus on their problems over anything else and not jump straight to the solution, which may or may not address the problem. Right. And then being open to learning, being open to what you're hearing and having a bias to action to try something out. It's like every Minimum of every week, a founder should be testing something new uh, with a customer. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I think that's great. That's really, really great advice. I think a lot of what we're doing is is testing and experimenting. And I mean, it's constantly changing, right? We always talk about how change is the only thing that's constant. And it's constant iteration of everything that we do. Exactly. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Thor. You know, as we wrap up, and before I let you go, I always ask every guest two things. So one, wh- what is the one thing about you that others might be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? First one, it's usually fun at a conference or something like that, because usually there's more people at that conference than where I grew up, mm-hmm. which is oh. a really old fishing village on the north coast of Iceland, <laughs> 450 people. Oh, wow. So more people will hear this than literally (laughs) where I grew up. Uh, And then the second question was what I want everybody to know. Yes. Generally happy to help. So if any of this is useful, reach out. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're a a first-time founder or a seasoned entrepreneur. Like there's There's always value in bouncing ideas or getting feedback or making introductions or whatever it is that I do. Send me a send me an email, find me on LinkedIn, anything like that. And yeah, happy to help. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for being being on the show, Thor. Really appreciate your time and just all of the great insights that you've shared with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. 